Hi, I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is Emily won't be joining me on the pod this week. She's off sick and is taking some time to rest and recover, but hopefully she'll be back next week with us. But the good news is you're not stuck with just me. I'm joined this week by co-founder of the Public Food Hub, familiar innovation champion in Edmonton, and my good pal, Ken Batista. Hey, Ken. Hey, how are you? Hey, thanks. How are you? Good. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. I... Um, I listened to this other podcast, The Room Where It All Started or The Room Where It All Happens or something like that. And they always have cocktails and then they have they record on YouTube and an audio at the same time. And I was thinking that we should have done that. But honestly, I wasn't organized. And I, I don't I think I would not be allowed to do this on my own anymore if I started just changing the format. So right. anyways, it's audio only. So we'll do, we'll do the follow up one. Perfect. That sounds great. So many people probably know you from your days at Startup Edmonton, even before that, championing uh, art scene Edmonton and getting people together around arts in our city. And now you are doing other new and exciting things still in the innovation space. You are the co-founder of the Public Food Hub. Can you tell people what that is and what you're doing at the public and, and how this all began? Well, so the, the, the public, what we've been building is this um, we call it a marketplace that's connecting food lovers to food makers and really sort of thinking about how do we bring those food experiences closer to where the customer is. And particularly, you know, dur- during the, the age of, of COVID where, you know, we were sort of limited in terms of what we could get access to in terms of both food brands, but also some of our sort of favorite, you know, things that we would sort of see, but they're kind of far away now. Um, and so with the public, you know, we use a combination of online and physical retail spaces that is bringing some of these different uh, brands to people in different neighborhoods and communities. Where a lot of this kind of came out of, you know, because, you know, as you know, I've always been really interested in place and community and entrepreneurship and technology. And, you know, I think everything has been sort of like the intersection of, of that. And when you sort of think about the world of food, you know, food is a very tangible thing. And I think you can't beam food over the internet. Um, and one of the things is you need to be able to experience it. You need to be able to taste it. You need to be able to you know, experience it with others. And so really thinking about what does the sort of the food maker of the, of the future now sort of think about how do they grow and reach their customers who might be in different neighborhoods around a city. Um, so that's, that's really what we're sort of building right now. We have about 400 brands that we've been working with. Um, we started this during the, the pandemic in terms of building out this platform. And uh, yeah, it's actually exciting to be back in uh, founder entrepreneur mode. Yeah, I bet. And, you know, food is so interesting because you're right. It's what brings people together. But also we're kind of at this place where people are very interested in who's behind their food and what's behind their food. And so I think there's kind of this increasing curiosity and opportunity for people to tell a story with what they're making and what they're cooking, what they're eating. And uh, I definitely think the pandemic has turned, you know, people who are generally behind the scenes and tell the story through their product. It's kind of put them a little bit more on center stage to say, hey, like, this is who I am. This is why I'm inspired. This is what I'm doing. These are these are my my aspirations. And so I think it's cool to see more companies 
providing a little bit of that infrastructure for food makers. Um, and I love, I love the way you put that about bringing food makers and food lovers together because I am a food lover. Uh, and I think, uh, it's a universal language, right. And, and it expresses so much about a place and a culture and all that kind of stuff. So I love it. In terms of the 400 brands that you're working with, how do how do those brands interface with you? Is it just like an online retail storefront or or how, how does somebody, if I'm a food maker, how do I work with the public? For sure. So um, so my co-founder is for for the public. So so Kirsten Frankie, who's been you know one of the forces behind getting several of the neighborhood markets, so like the one two four grand market, et cetera, going mm-hmm. over the last 10 years, and then Tim Hangel, who's um, help build Booster Juice and sort of like expand a you know an Edmonton-based brand kind of worldwide. And you know I think a big part of bringing you know the three of us together was really around you know we would see these really interesting like local brands you know emerging through the markets or they're setting up you know like one restaurant. But you know there's a lot of sort of like barriers in terms of how do you sort of scale scale that brand, especially if you want to scale it outside of Edmonton. You know and then you start to run into regulation, access to you know, resources, accessing customers in different places. So a lot of these like food makers, you know, are sort of limited in terms of how they can grow. And that's really where we sort of focused in just from an Edmonton perspective was taking somebody that we might see at, at one of like the local markets, for example, and, you know, helping them not just expand their footprint, but really expand their, their reach by accessing more touch points to the customer. So sometimes it's just like, Hey, how do you reach a customer through a pop-up tasting event? You know, for example, in the fall, we hosted a uh, pop-up, a three-week pop-up outpost in St. Albert, and a big part of that was bringing some a bunch of these sort of the Edmonton brands into St. Albert, where a bunch of them already had you know a following, you know, but for the the food lovers in St. Albert, where sometimes they don't have access to these brands that are you know downtown or you know 30, 40 minutes away, was being able to sort of access some of their favorite food makers through like a tasting experience or through these uh, neighborhood drops that we've been doing, um, which is essentially like a, you know, sort of like a batch order. And all of a sudden it's just like, Hey, let's, let's bring this brand like Swix pretzels and bring them all in one day to the consumers in St. Albert, for example. So we're seeing a lot of success in terms of helping these brands find new audiences, but then really for food lovers is accessing brands that they might not have had access to before. That's pretty cool. I, I see that happening with Uproot Food Collective as well, who have kind of started both a retail place for food makers when it comes to like a, an e-commerce storefront, but also, you know, they're expanding into like the food production side of things as well. How are you and Uproot different? And what is there any other gap that exists uh, that you and Uproot both don't cover? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, in the first, I would say like the, the early development of the public was very much focused around a physical food hub. And so, you know, we've been building this during the pandemic. It's got like, you know, 13 commercial kitchens. Like it was very much like, you know, startup Edmonton, but for food brands. And so a big part of that was helping these local brands go end to end, whether it's you need access to kitchen space, you know, supply chains, et cetera, and helping sort of like bring those to market. And in that sort of sense, there is, you know, lots of other different players in that space, whether it's food incubators, shared kitchens, we're seeing a lot of like, you know, ghost kitchen, dark kitchen stuff. And a lot of this like infrastructure that's being set up to help food brands grow. I think a big part of what we're doing with the public is, you know, it's very much about the customer touch point. And, you know, if we can, you know, in a marketplace where you're sort of working two sides, you kind of have to sort of lean on one versus the other. 
Um, and what we sort of started to see was, you know, it's one thing to help a whole bunch of brands, you know, build their products, but if there's no customer base for them to access, then really how can we start to add more value on the customer side? Um, so that's where I sort of see our sort of differentiation, which is a focus on more retail touch, customer touch points to the customer, more of a uh, ability to do kind of like in-person experiences. So when you think about brand discovery, um, so not just sort of retailing like, like a grocery store necessarily, but you know, the ability for you to think about like those, those Costco tasting kiosks, for example, you know, where you might sort of like discover sort of something new and sort of just bringing that to sort of to more people um, in more neighborhoods where we really sort of see that start to grow is, you know, we're starting to do different activations and locations in other cities. And that really starts to sort of, I think, open up the, the, the door to like cross community access, you know, food makers that are looking for customers in those places. And then, you know, food lovers in those places who are looking for not just local brands, but just, you know, brands that they're interested that really align to what their demands are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a company out of the US, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, called Foxtrot. And they're doing these, you know, really well curated markets in select cities across the US. And they also are now launching um, an e-commerce component, I believe. And their vision is really to kind of create like a localized experience using brands that want to scale nationally, which I think is really interesting. And I know for you in the past, a lot of the work that you've done has always been focused on these micro communities with global potential. And how, how, so how do you see that happening with the public? And how do you see this company scaling uh, and growing? And then and what does that do for, for the brands that you work with? Well, again, when we first sort of started, it was really about building like a place. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, scaling place is really hard, you know, especially when you start getting into real estate. And, you know, and when you look about that food infrastructure, you have food halls, markets, like you have all these sort of different places. And I think one of the things that we've been doing with, with the public is sort of thinking about place and space and physical real estate is like the hardware, but you need the software to sort of connect the right things happening in those places. And so when you, mm -hmm. when you start looking across the country, for example, there's a lot of food spaces that are out there. Um, some are consumer focused, some are like, you know, production food maker focused, but all of those is really part of this very like localized food ecosystem that, you know, more and more of these communities have to be able to have that infrastructure to not only sort of service the food needs of a local community, but also to help grow and expand some of the local food makers to become more global, to really sort of grow those. And so I think for, for us with the public, it's actually focusing on, you know, building that sort of that layer of access and this network to create new value on top of these different food spaces. So like, for example, like we actually work with a lot of other like location partners is actually kind of been one of the, the ways of how we've been able to sort of expand our reach, which is, you know, partnering with whether it's an existing food retailer that is looking for more interesting things to sort of bring into their space, or maybe it's a, a restaurant that might have times when there's like downtimes in their space. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of like underutilized space that's out there that could be activated. And so to me, it's about really creating a lot more kind of just customer touch points through these existing locations and using the, the, the public as a way to connect, again, food lovers and food makers across this infrastructure network. Cool. It's kind of like um, you're creating almost like shop in shop experiences. So you're kind of leveraging 
a place that already exists that has some untapped resource of time or space or whatever. And then you're able to reach out to the community that you've built of, of food lovers and say, hey, we're over here now for the next X months or weeks or permanently or whatever, but during this specific time or this specific day of the week or, or whatever. So it's almost like you're creating these like pop-up experiences for people uh, in a place where they might not normally find a retail opportunity. Exactly. And I think, you know, it really speaks to this, like, when you think about like 15 minute cities, for example, like, you know, there's also a, not just like a trend anymore, but you know, the people that want all of the amenities and all the services close to them. But the limiting factor in a lot of these like neighborhoods and communities is they don't have all of the brands or access to all the brands. And sometimes people just want to leave their home <laughs> too. So, you know, yes, we like my wife and I, like we have all of the services, we get subscription services coming in, you have the meal boxes, you have delivery apps. So like we have all the choices, but all of it is still coming to our house. And I think what, what, you know, I think people still desire is that third place where they can go. That isn't necessarily just like, hey, we want to go out to a restaurant and eat and then it's done. Or we don't want to just go into a store, shop there, and then just sort of come home. But they want to have that, that neighborhood hub. And we often talk about like food hubs in communities, like a big part of their role was, was really the physical connection to help like a small scale producer access like a wider market. Um, and so if we can kind of help do that at a more micro neighborhood scale, you know, and just again, create more touch points. I kind of think of it as like, you know, it's like UPS store, but for food, um, mm -hmm. where, you, where if you look at the States, I think 80% of the U.S. population lives near a UPS store, you know, and those, those locations really become touch points for accessing new product that gets delivered there, or they also become a resource, you know, for that neighborhood. Yeah. I could see this working really well in uh, suburban neighborhoods too. Like I live in the burbs and I know you do too. And one of the downsides is that the retail spaces are so big and it's just not feasible for a lot of companies that are starting out, no matter how strong their product is, they can't, it just doesn't make sense to have a space there, but also it doesn't create the vibe they're going for because the spaces are so gigantic. But if somebody else has a space that the public could partner with to create a more interesting experience, then there's an opportunity to kind of take some things out of what you would normally find in a more downtown or more of like a insulated neighborhood where there's a lot of walkability and stuff and now bring that out to the suburbs. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and if you look at, you know, what the next kind of like food brand starts to look like, like for a lot of the food makers that, you know, sort of struggled during pandemic, you know, a big part of it is like a lot of their business models are based on, you know, footfall and bums and seats. Then it's just a, it's a, it's a math game in terms of how many kind of customers you can access to get to your location. Versus this sort of new wave of, of big food makers, like I think of them as like creators, like, you know, if I'm a content creator and I want to find customers, I can go into Twitch, you know, and find my audience there. And then I have access yeah. to the tools. Or you look at tools like Patreon or, you know, even Etsy to a lot of extent, like these marketplaces sort of open up access to the customers who are looking for what you're creating. And I think in food, it's a really, it can be a really complicated path to sort of reach that customer wherever they are. Because as you know, like, you know, building a food brand, there's a lot of things that you have to sort of like figure out along the way. But if you think of it as like a, a stack of like technology, here's all the tools I need to be able to, get, to create what I do and then sell it to that customer who may or may not be in my own backyard, you know, and what does that start to look like? Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. 
Here is a word from our sponsor. Do you or someone you know have a tech-driven startup that's ready to launch and grow? The Alberta Catalyzer program provides resources and coaching to support founders in the early stages of development to build a strong and clear business foundation. You'll learn how to validate your business model, test your product, and identify your customer segment. Alberta Catalyzer is open to all founders launching or growing their business in Alberta, including international founders. The program is at no cost, but limited spots are available. Apply today by visiting albertacatalyzer.com. Can you talk a little bit about, you, you kind of related the public to, you know, a set of tools that a creator might need, like even in, in the, in a technology space or in a, in a creative space. And I know that you've also participated in a lot of programming here in Edmonton that you have often been a proponent of back in your startup Edmonton days. And as you know, we are like all about the accelerators here in Alberta right now. There's tons of them and I'm still trying to navigate which ones are beneficial to what type of, of company, but you've participated in Propel through Startup Edmonton, and you just finished the first 500 global cohort uh, that came to Alberta. Why are these programs important for growth in general? And why did you choose to join them? How, how have they helped you? You know, as you know, like when you're a founder and you're sort of you know, building something that maybe someone hasn't done before, there's a lot of sort of different directions that you could go. And, you know, it's, a, it's this sort of combination of needing to be able to build fast, you know, fail fast, but also sort of like make sure that you're not just working fast, you're sort of like working in a, in, in a direction of sort of something. And I always sort of like believe that these kinds of programs, you want some constraints, you know? And so, so, so even just thinking about like, yes, there's a lot of things that we have to build, but like, you know, what could we build in like a week or what could we build in 90 days or like through these accelerators is like, how much could we advance what we're doing within the next 13 weeks using this process. And so actually going through Propel and then 500 was, I think, really good for, for us, just even as a team. You know, we're a growing team of 10 people now. And, and, you know, so there's a lot of things that we're even just figuring out as a team in terms of like, you know, how do we do stuff? What are we measuring? Are we sort of using the same, you know, sort of like metrics and tools, et cetera, and then being able to do that on a week-to-week basis. And so these programs were a good way for us to, check in with people outside. I think you can often be in your own echo chamber when you are working on a startup. And what I think was really good about 500 in particular, and it was why I was excited to, to get into that was really the value of this, of this global program. You know, when you think about like the, the top accelerator brands out there, there's like YC, Techstars and 500, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's always sort of been like that. And I think for us was just being able to not only tap into the 500 way, and the 500 sort of tools, but also just like the network that they started to sort of bring in through the mentors. They brought in a really great, like, I think like local team too. Like, and so that to me was like the, the perfect blend of a, of a global program with a really great, like on the ground team as well. And, you know, it really pushed us to, to sort of figure out what we were doing. And in fact, during 500, it was when we really leaned into how do we sort of focus on the food lover side? Because if we open that up, that's going to immediately create even more value for all of the food makers that we work with. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, and you know, when I look at accelerators, they always fall into several different categories. So one is more like about the phase of business that you're in. The second could be about like specific domain expertise. And then the third could be kind of a sector-based uh, approach. And so I've been looking at like food and drink ones, you know, and I haven't found 
too many yet that I can access from Edmonton. And so I, I thought when I heard about 500 Global coming in, I thought that was really interesting because you're right, you're now connected to this global network. So not only are you learning from different perspectives, but you're building a network where when you're ready to get into that market, you already have people that you can tap just for you know, some warm intros and, you know, people who know the different markets that you're getting into. So I, I, I was really excited to see 500 Global come here. And your perspective on the blend between local and global is, is really, uh, is really, is really great to see. Are there any other accelerators you're looking at or, or any other programs that you've just started with that you think are, are really excellent for other folks to look at? You know, there's, there's some now in, in others or places like, and I think that this is sort of part of really leveraging these programs. Like I think the, the best, the best opportunities around these programs is when you sort of know what outcome you're sort of trying to get to. Right. And for us was being like, okay, if we can really sort of like, you know, nail our, like we have revenue, we're starting to kind of see some traction around kind of like what we're doing now we can, you know, start to sort of expand that into other places, but we can kind of make that happen within this period of time. You know, not necessarily just going into another program from our perspective, but really like I think for us is building on what we've learned um, in 500. And then now it's just starting to like apply that kind of growth path into some of these other communities that we're starting to operate in. Ultimately, too, I'm just like, hey, what kind of progress can we make in the next six to 12 months? So then when we yeah. do connect with some of these other programs, brands, investors, et cetera, like I think that's the best part is like there is a lot of. There's a lot of stuff that's out there, but I think it's, it's really figuring out the right fit, I think, on both sides. And I think the, the great thing about, you know, with 500 coming to Edmonton and Alberta was that, yeah, a lot of these programs, like we would have to move or we would have to go to another place, particularly around a lot of these sort of like food consumer brand ones. Like a lot of them are in the U.S. They're in really great markets. Like that's where the action is. So we're like, okay, how much can we sort of push these things and grow as much as we can from here, knowing that we need to be able to make inroads in some of those places as well. One of the things I love about what you're doing is I'm a big proponent of the fact that innovation does not belong just in the same sentence as technology. I think innovation, and many people think innovation is just looking at a problem through a different set of eyes or with different variables. And you know that's what I'm trying to do with, with field notes is kind of get people to look at agriculture through a different lens and drive value for agriculture so that we move from being more of a commodity-based pricing to like value-based pricing, which I think is more stable for food producers. And that's why I think what you're doing is really great. But here in Alberta, it seems like we're focusing so much on tech, which I think is important. Don't get me wrong. And I think we've got a lot of amazing companies, especially in very advanced fields that I don't think people would have expected from us just based on where we are in the world, like, you know, satellite technology and things like that. But when you look to the future a little bit, how do you see innovation becoming more diverse here? And where do you think we need to start also paying a little bit more attention? Uh, what, what would those industries be? It's a big question. <laughs> I know. Um, I trying no, to stump I mean, you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like, you know, we've talked about this for years. I mean, I like my previous sort of history is like digital media, right? And content, right? And, and you know, when you think about interactive entertainment and games and all of that type of stuff. I think a lot of the technology opportunity, like it's not about the technology anymore. It's really about the applications in the right way and sort of being able to now prove that you can, that you have the traction as well. I'll step back a little bit. I think one of the most exciting things like today is the rise of uh, no code 
for example. Yeah. Um, because as a founder, you know, if I think about like 10 years ago, like I'm not a programmer, but so I always had to sort of rely on other people to build stuff. But if you're a founder today, it's really about like, hey, you have access to all of the sort of the tools to, you don't even have to figure out how to build the thing right off the bat. You need to sort of prove the value and sort of show that, hey, here's, here's what it could be and apply some of the technologies that are out there and cobble them together to kind of create the solution. And I think, I think more and more of the companies are going to be based off of a combination of traction around the solution, but then also really great brands, right? Like brands that sort of like resonate with the, the user or the customer that's out there. It might not necessarily be the best solution, but they're the ones that really resonate with because people have like brand affinity because as, as consumers or users, like we have access to whatever we want now. No, and I agree. And I think, you know, your, your comment about low code, no code, I think there's two advantages there uh, or two challenges potentially as well is like, number one is that the, the stakes have never been lower to start something, right? Like it's, it, you don't have to mortgage your house to have an idea that you want to try out. Um, you may not hit the perfect version in V1, but your V1 is going to be like 10x better than V1 a couple of years ago even. Uh, and then, but then number two, your point around brand is because we have such a low barrier to entry now, there are a ton of people and a ton of brands coming out. And so the ones that are really focused on their customer and really build a strong connection with their customer in some way that's meaningful and valuable are going to be the ones that have staying power, not kind of the fly-by-night ones that have, are just trying to take advantage of a, of a quick opportunity. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's a challenge for like a lot of local ecosystems, right? Is is you can't just support local companies for the sake of it, right? I always sort of say this in food, like just because it's local doesn't mean it's good. And, yes. you know, I think c- c- customers are are savvy now and they have access to everything. And so, yeah, I want some local brands because I know exactly who's behind that and I want to support that person. And then in other cases, I want stuff that I can get off of, you know, globally and shipped into me like within 24 hours or so. We need to be able to make sure that whoever is building stuff from our communities is they they really have that sort of lens that's out there, right? And so if you're if you're building a you know food delivery app, it's just like yeah, there's like thousands out there that are doing that, right? And so you can't just yeah. be like the best one for Edmonton necessarily. It's why I've always valued being connected into global networks because of that perspective. Um, you don't want to be in the echo chamber of less like hey, you know what like. I'm awesome here and I just need to have customers here and then I'm good versus I want to have this sort of ambition that even for the public is like, what are we doing in the food space? I don't want to just be a local food company that helps you find local food brands. You know, we really want to sort of change the way that like people are discovering and buying interesting food brands, whether they're super hyper local or super specialty that someone in like, you know, Amsterdam is sort of making and they can't get it into Canada, for example. Yeah. So I think that that's the... It's that sort of that stack of technology. Again, if you think about like Shopify wasn't around for, it used to cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars to build an e-commerce store. Now, now you can do it in like a day for 49 bucks a month. And all of a sudden you're up and running. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like what is happening out there? And I think it's exciting. It's, it's definitely exciting. So as we kind of wrap up, what can you tell us about this upcoming market season? What have you got planned and, and where should people be looking out for you? Yeah, well, so in in Edmonton, so Edmonton is our home base, you know, it's our HQ. And, you know, we have sort of multiple markets that are happening. We had the the third edition of the Christmas market last year at Fort Edmonton, which was a 
which is a pretty big success for its sort of the first time there. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot more of these markets and also actually partnering with other market organizers, you know, and like I said, like, I always think like that markets are like mini incubators, you know, they should be sort of accessed sort of like everywhere and we're seeing more neighborhood markets. So being able to kind of just have more touch points where people can get out and experience food and having the public be, you know, powering or being connected to those types of opportunities. And then over the next six months, we're actually going to be doing a lot more uh, pop-up outpost runs. Um, and so, you know, finding more locations and working with more location partners to get into neighborhoods that we wouldn't, you know, necessarily sort of like think of before or neighborhoods that are, that are maybe lacking service. Um, but there's people there that really sort of want something. So it's going to be a little bit of a, of a pop-up roadshow um, in Edmonton. And then uh, we're starting to do some work in some of the other sort of prairie cities, you know, so Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Regina, and, uh, and then Calgary. And, uh, and then we'll sort of see how it goes in the fall. Cool. Well, that all sounds exciting. And uh, I'm also going to throw out there that I think in all your, when you, when you find all these food makers, let's get a bunch of them together and let's create a public field notes, food field trip to uh, Seattle. Cause that's where we're looking to expand to in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. So yes. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. We can, we can, yeah. <laughs> we can jam together with food and bring a bunch of people and, you know, see, who, see what happens from all the magic. Totally. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing with the public, like to me, it's very much the similar playbook to what we did with, with startup Edmonton in a lot of ways. Like how do you build communities? Like some of the first things we're doing in some of the other communities is, is um, food maker meetups. And a big part of those is they're actually powered by local entrepreneurs on the ground who, you know, want to be sort of connected into something bigger than their community, you know? And a big part of that was just like, Hey, how do we sort of connect communities that works in tech? You know, it should, it for, should for sure sort of work in the world of food. Every community needs food, right? And every community has really interesting local makers that have the potential, but maybe are limited by their geography. Perfect. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. You can also visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker and cover art is by Vicky Horsinski.